Well, I want to get you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. This is a familiar passage, one of those passages that we pay attention to, especially at this time of year. And uh, this is a, this, these are stories that just never grow old. Uh, I know that on Christmas Day, whenever my wife and I sat down to eat, we, uh, we decided what we wanted to do is we wanted to read the passage from Luke chapter 2. And you know, you've read it, no telling how many times, so much of it, we know it by heart. We've read it so many times, but it just doesn't get old, does it? You just want to hear it again and again and again. Let me read this to you. I'm going to read this whole chapter of Matthew chapter 2, and uh, you'll be familiar with it. Listen as I, and follow along as I read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, 
that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Well, you know, at Christmas time, uh, we, we decorate a lot, don't we? We decorate our towns, we decorate our houses on the outside, we decorate on the inside with, uh, with Christmas trees and things like that. I noticed that we have down here a nativity scene or a nativity set, and a lot of people will even have nativity scenes outside in their yard. My wife is a nativity scene nut, and she has lots of them, and they're all for inside the house. And... Uh, I like nativity scenes. I like them because of what they symbolize. But sometimes they're not exactly accurate, but that's okay too. For instance, back whenever I was a pastor in Orange, we were going, our minister of music wanted to have a live nativity thing going on. And he had everything set up in front of one of the buildings. And just above on the building, on the top of the building, he had an eight-voice choir up there dressed up like angels. And they were singing and doing stuff like that. And he even had somebody to bring some animals. They brought some sheep, and I think they brought a donkey or two. And then they brought a llama. Now, how in the world... A South American critter made it all the way across to the Middle East. I don't know, but they had that llama. And I was the narrator, and they staked that llama right in front of me. And I'm not going to tell you what all he did or anything like that, but I'm just going to tell you he was disgusting, and he was a great distraction during the whole time he was there. After that night was over with, we were going to have a second night, and I told the minister of music, I said, get rid of the llama. No one rode a llama into Bethlehem that night. There's nothing wrong with that llama that a good 45 wouldn't have taken care of, but anyway, <laughs> I'll never forget that. But then there's some other things that we see in some more, I don't know, maybe even more symbolic type things is, is a boy with a drum. And that's because of the little song, Little Drummer Boy. And I guess out of all the Christmas songs, that is the one that I like least. I just don't like it. Simply because it, was, it, it couldn't have ever happened. Not only is it not mentioned in the scripture, it's just wasn't going to happen. You think about this. Mary was a brand new mother. I mean, she had just gotten a new baby on the ground. And I'll tell you something, if some little brat had shown up with a drum and wanted to beat that drum there in the stable around, around baby Jesus, he would have been wearing that drum around his ears, thanks to Mary. Of course, we always have the three wise men in these scenes. And Matthew is the only one who tells us about these men from the east, these wise men from the east, and aren't you glad that Matthew did include that? Because what we see with this is that it, one of the things that it teaches is that it reminds us that Jesus came to be to the Savior, not just for the Jews, but for people of every race and clime. What's interesting about this passage, or one of the things that's interesting about this passage we just read, is the way, though, that different people reacted to the news of the Messiah being born. First of all, we see the response of Herod the Great. Herod, the, and Herod greeted the coming of the king with what we would have to call hostile antagonism. Herod the king, he was called. Herod the Great, he was called. But he was king only by appointment of Caesar. 
Herod was known for a lot of things. Herod was a builder. The beautiful temple that was there during the day of Jesus that later on was, a few years later, was destroyed by the Romans was a, a beautiful complex. It had been in the works of being built. Oh, goodness, my memory fails me. I think over 40 years or so they'd been working on it. And uh, every, the Jews were proud of that temple because of its beauty. Herod got that done. Herod had good roads put in. Herod was a builder, and he really did a lot to make things a little bit better around there in the area of Judea. Herod was also the peacekeeper. Herod didn't want trouble, and he knew how to put trouble down, and he knew how to do it quickly. Herod was also a paranoid potentate. Anything that seemed to get in his way or threaten his position was going to be done away with quickly and swiftly. He, married, he, he killed his wife, Mary Amney, simply because she didn't please him. He also murdered three of his sons because they seemed to be a threat to him. And so, whenever Herod got the news about this, whenever these men from the east showed up asking, where is he that is born the king of the Jews, it troubled Herod whenever he heard that because as far as he was concerned, he was the king of the Jews and he was not, uh, he was not happy about it. And whenever Herod wasn't happy, the people in Jerusalem weren't happy because they realized that the blood could start flowing at any moment. And so, and the thing with Herod is this, as soon as he heard about Jesus, he wanted to kill him. That's the reason that whenever Herod was asking these, these wise men when did you see this star? How long has this been going on? He was trying to figure out just about what age he was. Herod really didn't have any good reason to hate Jesus, did he? Herod simply wanted to be in control of everything. And that's the reason that he hated the Messiah. And to tell you the truth, isn't that the reason why some people today hate God and hate Jesus Christ? They mean it. they want to control their own life their own way. Herod was afraid that the Messiah would take away his throne. Herod was afraid that he would lose what he treasured most, and that was his authority. But if only Herod could have realized the truth about the Messiah. You see, we lose nothing that is worth saving when we trust in Jesus and make him our king. When we follow Jesus Christ, we have nothing to lose but a sin-sick heart and a hell-bound soul, but we have everything to gain. You know, later on, Jesus said this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Think about this, folks. Whenever we trust in Jesus Christ and make him our king, we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ who has the name that is above every name. Herod, though, he lost what he wanted to hold on to. He lost his fame. He lost his authority. He lost his prestige. He lost all that he lived for. About three miles southeast of Bethlehem, you can visit a building called the Herodian. It was another one of Herod's building projects. 
It was his massive mountain fortress built so that it would overshadow everything that was around it. It was one of his greatest building projects. Get this. The Herodian contains a synagogue. It contains a palace, a theater, a hippodrome. That's not where hippos run. It was a horse racing track. And also it was a spa that had three baths in it. Today in Bethlehem, if you stay in town, you can find an ancient church building. A church building is called the Church of the Nativity. And inside of it, in a dark, cramped room, is a spot marked as the place where Jesus was born. Every year, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, come to Bethlehem and they go inside there in that little cramped room just to see that spot. Today, hardly anyone visits the Herodian. I've never talked to anyone that has been to the Holy Land that ever went there. <laughs> Whose kingdom lasted? <laughs> it wasn't Herod's. Well, next we see the response of the religious leaders, and their response was what we'd have to call haughty indifference. The chief priests and the scribes were summoned by Herod. He knew that they ought to know the answer to the question, you know, where's the king of the Jews supposed to be born? And, and they knew exactly where he was supposed to be born. They could rattle it off very quickly. It's amazing, you know, if, if we were asked to come up with something like, you know, give me a, quote me a verse out of Malachi chapter 3, we probably wouldn't be able to do it. But understand, these people did nothing, a lot of, some of them did nothing but just read the scripture, especially the scribes. What they did was they copied scripture and copied it, copied it, copied it. They were able to tell him real quick, Oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's what it says in, in, by the prophet. Now, they told him that and they knew, they knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born. They obviously knew that there were some men wandering around town, some foreigners wandering around town that were saying that they believed that he had just been born because they saw his star when it rose. They knew all of this, but they had no intention whatsoever to go to Bethlehem and see the new king, the new Messiah. And get this, Bethlehem was only two miles away from them. They could have walked there in less than an hour if that's what they had wanted to do. But they didn't go because they just didn't care. The Sadducees, who were the chief priests that are mentioned right here, they were too wrapped up in their social standing. They were too much in love with their power and the money in order to care about the birth of Messiah. He was just going to get in their way. The scribes, they were too wrapped up in their religious rules to care. As for these religious leaders, their spirituality did not even get beyond the walls of their temple. Oh, they could talk about God, but they had no desire to walk with God. They cared more about religion than they did about righteousness. They had a form of godliness, but they lacked the power thereof. And in many ways, they were worse off than Herod. At least Herod believed that there was a king in Bethlehem. <laughs> Isn't that something? You know, our response to Christ can easily lose its warmth and fervor. I don't know where I got this. I'm sure I didn't make this one up. 
I must have read it somewhere. But I, but I can't get over this statement. Sometime the greatest enemy to worship is familiarity. Sometimes the greatest enemy to worship is familiarity. Because when familiarity creeps into our worship, our worship becomes a routine. And we begin to focus on performance rather than the person that we're supposed to worship. We can be, become more concerned with the way that we teach or the, the lessons that, or, or the, the sermons that we preach and more concerned about that than the way that we love about the one that the sermon is about. We can be more concerned with the applause of men than the approval of God. And whenever that happens to us, God begins getting in our way and God becomes a nuisance to us. And then we try to avoid the soul giver of life just so that we can get a taste of the fleeting praise of mortal men. What a waste whenever we have that happen to us. But now we see the response of the Magi. First of all, who were they anyway? I mean, what were they? Well, they weren't kings of the Orient, okay? The scripture says that they were magi, wise men, in a bad way to, in a bad way to understand that. They were stargazers. Understand, in that part of the world back then, people, there were certain people who made it their business to look at the night sky, to, to study the stars. You say, well, that's just a bunch of astrology. Well, they were astronomers and astrologists, if you want to put it that way, because there was no, they didn't separate those two ideas back then. But they knew, they knew what the night sky was supposed to look like. And one night, they saw something strange. Now, I know that some of your Bibles say that the Magi said, we have seen his star in the east. Well, you can also translate that, we saw its star, his star in its rising. Same word. And that really is what makes sense because they came from the east. And if they had seen his star in the east and they started riding toward it, they would have ended up in China or something. But no, they saw it in its rising. Where did they come from? They probably came from the Persian area, something like that, because this is a very popular thing for them to do around then. And another thing is this, get this, you know, we're talking about former Babylonian empire. Remember that the Jews were exiled, many of them in Babylon, some of the smartest of the Jews. Don't think for a minute that some of those Babylonian stargazers didn't kind of write it down in their little notebook that the Jews kept talking about a star that was going to rise. A new king was going to be coming. And so that's what they were. They were stargazers. How many of them were there? It doesn't say three in Matthew's Gospel. It really doesn't. We just know that there was more than one. Could have been two. Could have been a half a dozen for all we know. But that doesn't make any difference. Now, if there were three, what were their names? Well, do you know that they do have names? It's just an old tradition. There's nothing biblical about that. But they were, one of them was Caspar, one was Melchior, and one was Balthazar. But if you ever read that, you may use that in a crossword puzzle one of these days. But when did they come? Now, this is the thing that, you know, some people say that they, they showed up that night there at the stable. Probably didn't. 
simply because we read in here in Matthew's account that when they did go get to Bethlehem, they went to the house where Jesus was. By this time, Jesus was not staying in a stable. He's not there. They got there, and Jesus was probably, he may well have been a toddler at the time. So there was little baby Jesus there, and there was his mom Mary, and Joseph was probably out at the shop working, something like that. But, uh, but what about the significance of their gifts? Some people say, well, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh, the gold uh, recognizes him as a king. The frankincense would recognize him as a priest, and then also the, uh, the myrrh would be something that would recognize him as go- who is going to be a sacrifice. Now, I think the significance of the gifts is that these stargazers wanted to give this Messiah, this new king, they wanted to give him gifts that were fit for a king, something that was very fine, something that would be pleasing. Let me tell you something. If you go to the Queen of, if you ever got to go to England and you got an invitation to go visit the Queen, and you felt it would be proper for you to bring a gift, let me tell you something. You wouldn't be giving her a Budweiser T-shirt and a box of Slim Jims, okay? That ain't happening. You know, you would give her something that would befit her dignity and to befit her royalty. And what is the best thing that we can give Jesus? It's not our nickels and dimes. It's all that we are. The best thing that we can give him is our worship It says whenever they did, they offered him these gifts and they worshiped him. Listen, the term worship in our passage means literally to bow down in reference. To worship God is, is, that is, to worship is the human response to God's grace. To worship is to offer one's loyalty and obedience, trusting only in God's mercy. Worship cannot be limited to a building and, and worship cannot even be limited to one little thing that we do whenever we come together. We worship whenever we sing praises to God. But we also worship whenever we read the Word of God. We worship whenever we listen to the teaching of the Word of God. We worship whenever we give our offerings. And that's the reason that taking up an offering before all of this virus stuff showed up was a special moment during the service because giving that offering was an act of worship itself. Whenever we come together and pray together, it's an act of worship, but there is also worship that goes on whenever we're not in this building. We may not, we can worship whenever we're all alone sitting in the living room and there's nobody watching us but God. There's times that we worship whenever we're going down a a county road in the fall and see the leaves changing colors. There's times that we worship just simply when we're at our work, at our desk, at our work tables. You see, worship is giving ourselves to God. And worship is something that we do not out of routine, It's something that we don't do out of convenience, but we do it out of determination. No matter what it takes, we shall worship Jesus Christ, for he is worthy of our worship. Let's pray together. Now, our Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son. Lord, I pray that you would make our hearts pliable and open 
so that we would really worship you like we should. Oh, Father, we pray that we would learn something from the examples of these people that we've talked about, learn from the negative examples, but also learn from these magi that came from the East. Lord, there's no greater gift that we have ever been given, nor shall we ever be given, than the gift of your Son. The fact that we can know you and that we can know forgiveness and we can know hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.